One time, one of my children, and I won't tell you which of the oldest one it was, um, was talking to the church choir. And when the preacher's kid talks to the church choir, watch out. So I had, the only reason why I know about this conversation is because I think it was one Sunday, someone from the choir, this, this was a while ago, right? Someone from the choir says, oh, we heard about the preacher. What you talking about? We heard the preacher said the S word. I said, what preacher? Like, we heard you said the S word. So I'm a little confused because um, it's been a long time, sisters and brothers, and I made some life choices and some life choices for a reason. So I got to talking. Well, where did you hear this from? Oh, it was a Fletcher about this tall, and she was telling us about this and this and this, and she said, you said the S word. And then it dawned on me. Uh, the choir thought they got me. But I had to explain to them, look, in our house, we don't say the word stupid. And one time, I let the word stupid slip, and that child hung on to that and just had to tell the entire church. Stupid. And it's a word we still don't like to use too much in our house. As a matter of fact, I think it wasn't too long ago, uh, Nathan asked, was well, it okay if I say it now that I'm a little older, right? <laughs> but here's what I've also learned about that word is that sometimes it is the perfect word to describe some of the things that we do as people. It's the best word to describe some of the things we say as people sometimes, too. And if you're thinking, oh, you're so vulgar, well, it's, there's a reference to people being stupid in the Bible multiple, multiple occasions. And so what we see is, as people, man, we're not very bright sometimes. At least we don't act like we are. At least we're not putting what we have inside of here seemingly into good use. So today we're talking about how do we find the will of God? Again, I'm going to assume that you are like me and you want God to tell you what his will is. Right. You have your life at home. You have life at church. We as a congregation have our life together. We see things happening in the world. and We can't help but ask, Lord, what is your will in this situation? What is it you want me to do? What is it you want me to know? How is it you want me to respond? So I'm going to suggest to you that. One of the tools that we have, that we have acquired, that we have learned, comes from the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Now, there are four elements to this quadrilateral, and I'm going to tell you something ironic about them. Uh, The first one is scripture, I told you. We'll talk about that next week. Then there's what we're going to talk about this week, reason, right? Reason. And then there's tradition. And then there's experience, right? Now, here's what the ironic part, the The person, he was a Methodist scholar who gave us this idea of the Wesleyan quadrilateral, um, did so, and then regretted it. You see, John Wesley never used the term Wesleyan quadrilateral. He never had a formula. What uh, this scholar did is he noticed that in the writings of John Wesley, John Wesley is trying to uh, live out his life faithfully and also to continue his movement faithfully. He noticed that in his writings, he, he has these, these ways of thinking, right? And of course, the first one is, is, is this way of thinking of Scripture in all that he does. Remember, we've said recently that 
John Wesley wanted to be a man of one book, right? And so one of the things we see Wesley doing constantly is using Scripture as a way to understand the movement of God, not only in his life, but in the world around him. And he had all these tools, and we're going to talk about reason today, but the person who gave us the term, um, the Wesleyan quadrilateral, regretted it because what happened is, you know how we are, we sort of cling on to things, and we make it out to be something it wasn't. So sometimes we put these tools, these ideas on the shelf and say, we have this, and this is what's important to us, and these are our things, when Wesley never intended that at all. What John Wesley understood, and what we see in our life, I think we can even see it in Jesus as well, is that there is something up here that is a gift from God. There has been so much... um, talk over the last who knows how many decades about the idea that that faith and science can't live together people say well if you want to think then don't have faith right and i want to tell you today that that is one of the most absurd things you can hear because god gave us this reason god gave us our minds god gave us our instincts as a gift And when you and I are trying to figure out what it is God wants from us, when you and I are trying to figure out, God, what is your will, we have this as a gift to figure out. And I'm going to show you. We just heard about it in Haggai, and I know we had some interruptions, but uh, somebody say, you ain't going to stop us, devil. So in Haggai 1, let me tell you what happens. The word of the Lord comes to the prophet, and the prophet gives the word of the Lord to the people. And, And here is that word. Thus says the Lord, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. So if you're not familiar with where we are, let let me tell you, about 15 years prior, the people had gotten together. And they had gotten together with, with, with great celebration and great pomp and circumstance, all that business. And it was a great party. And they had said that they were going to rebuild the temple that they were going to commit themselves to building this holy place of God. But then days pass by, weeks pass by. We have a running joke in our church, right? Well, we'll wait till it gets cooler. And then when it gets cooler, well, we'll wait till it gets a little warmer. And then one year, another year, so on and so forth. And so when Haggai comes with the word, what we hear is the people saying, oh, man, we know God's house needs to rebuild, but it's not the time to do it. And God says, (laughs) no. If it wasn't the time to build, then why are you building your houses? If it wasn't the time for you to be busy and to build and to put uh, work into making something happen, why are you living in your nice big houses and you're letting mine fall to ruin? These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Is it time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins are the exact words. So there's, there's that I want you to see. But here's the part I, I want us to really focus on. The next verse, Now therefore says the Lord of hosts, 
Consider how you have fared. Consider how you have fared. What I hear God saying is, you've said that it wasn't the time. Fine. Think about everything you're going through. Think about what you've already gone through. Think about what's happening around you. Consider your ways, God says. And when the people had to consider their ways, what they had to realize is, man, things haven't been working out for us. We've been on a decline and and we've had things happen that we can't explain. We've had ruin. We've lost things. We've worked like crazy, but we've made no benefit. We've made no uh, no, uh, advancement. And what God says, consider that. And that might be what the FBI calls a clue. Now, what do you consider with? Your mind. And so I think part of what God is even telling the people, think about what's happening around you. You say it's not time. But you're only saying that because you want the time for yourself. Now, I need you to think about this. What if you put me first, where I belong and where I am? How do you think you would fare then? What do you think you would build then? Consider your ways. The prophet repeats. Consider how you have fared Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house. You have looked for much and it came to little. When you brought it low, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins. Consider your ways. So if we're trying to figure out what God wants us to do, and if we say that we understand that, you know what, this brain of ours, this intellect we have, this way of thinking that we've been gifted with, insight, Thoughts, if you, if you consider how our minds work, it is, it is fascinating. It is amazing. To me, it seems like a miracle. And if we believe that, then we should be able to, if we're trying to figure out, God, what do you want from me? What do you want me to know? We should be able to sit back and think about what's happening around us. That maybe if, maybe if I'm dealing with a situation that doesn't seem so pleasant, Maybe it's because I put myself there year in and year out. Or maybe there's something to be learned here. But I think we're called not just to sort of go through every day, oh, well, no big deal. But rather, consider your ways. Churches have to do this all the time. Church... What is it God wants from us? God says, well, look around. What's happening? You've heard me say before about our church, the United Methodist Church. You know, when it came together and it formed a union, we had this big explosion where everybody became United Methodist. And you know what happened every year after that? We lost members every single year, even up until this year. Look around. Consider our ways. You know, we talk about our younger generations. Oh, they don't want to be a church. Well, that's not true. But maybe if we considered our ways, 
God might be showing us something. Our families. You know, sometimes we get stuck and we think, oh, this just must be the will of God for me. I don't believe that. I believe God wants us to have life. God wants us to be free. And so if we are continually dealing with the same issue day in and day out, maybe God says, well, look around. Maybe there's something that you're missing that you just haven't seen and put together. God's given us a gift up here. We need to use it. We need to be willing to say, God, I trust you. I understand God, and we need to realize this as well. Our minds have their limits. Our minds have their limits. I, I heard about the story not too long ago of a man who was in some kind of uh, altercation, and he was beaten severely, and so much so that he had head trauma from the experience. But once he recovered, he came back with some, like, supernatural almost ability to understand math, and in everything he do, he could see like math equation, and he all of a sudden was this math genius, which means that, you know, inside our brains, even us people, I don't like math, right? I don't want to do math, but that even though there's something in there that we don't even realize it, God has designed us in a way to understand the world around us, but there are still limits. We can't understand God fully with our minds, because if we can explain God, that's not God. It's our image of God. So here's my encouragement to you. Consider your ways. What is it you're asking God for right now? What is it that you've been seeking answers for and about? What situations have you been giving to God continually and continually? And consider your ways. Maybe there is something God is saying Look at what you've been doing. And trust that God can use our reason. It's that gut feeling. You ever have a gut feeling? You ever meet somebody and think, hmm, I don't know if that's you or that Taco Bell I just had, but I don't know. All right, we have that, right? And that's connected to our minds. And I'm going to suggest to you that's a gift from God. That one of the ways we can find the will of God, one of the ways we can distinguish what God is trying to tell to us is by simply using the gift of thought. With thought comes creativity. With thought comes wisdom. With thought comes insight. But all that begins with reason. Let me use this gift that God has given me. And maybe... Just maybe, God will show us something. Amen? Yeah, amen.